Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleMomics Radio. I am your co-host, Chris from Mookie Donna Harrington, joined by the beast from the East Coast, the man himself, Mr. Brandon P. Howard Thurston, owner of The Cup. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm back from my trip to uh, Kansas or Connecticut or wherever you were saying I, I, I was. Maine. Maine. You went to Maine. I was in Maine for Limitless Pro Wrestling this Limitless Wrestling this past, uh, what, what day was it? I can't even keep track of the days. It was Friday. Wasn't it Friday? It was yeah. Friday. We left at so like... So you said it was eight hour drive down? Yeah, it was, uh, we left at 5.30, no, no, we met up at 6.30 a.m. And, uh, I didn't get home until about 11.30 a.m. yesterday. So I was gone for over 24 hours. And I'm, Who drove? <laughs> uh, I made Daniel Garcia drive all the way there. And then, uh, and then I, I drove like for three hours back, and then Jay Freddy took over and drove the rest of the way back. Well, he drove to Syracuse, and then I drove from Syracuse wow. to Buffalo. So, was, yeah, they, they were very nice, and they took the It was all my car, but, yeah, they, they took the wheel for a lot of it, and I took naps and stuff. Got very little sleep the night before, but I slept in this morning, crashed as soon as I got home yesterday, and I'm feeling a lot better. But it was a great experience, and it was the furthest. I was thinking about this last night. This is the furthest I've ever been away from home to wrestle. First time I've ever been in the state of Maine. And, of course, I was traveling with uh, these three guys from Grapplers, Puff, you may have heard of the, the big guy Puff, Kevin Blackwood, and Daniel Garcia, who travel like almost every weekend. They're really working hard on the indies, and uh, it was great to finally get out there with them on a, on a really good show, Limitless. It was like a really a, a strong, super indie crowd. I really enjoyed uh, working there, and the uh, crowd was super hot. It was like this. I heard you even, even Wrestling Observer itself was in attendance. The Wrestling Observer slash Figure Four Wrestling uh, Universe Empire was in the building, Josh Nason. I got to meet Josh Nason uh, in person for the first time. And uh, and Mookie has gone black. I don't know if he's still with us here. Mookie, are you still there? Yes. Okay, I'm good. nodding my head. Okay. And uh, see, But yeah, the crowd was really hot. And uh, it was in this like old downtown Portland, Maine building with chandeliers and old paintings on the wall. And it was gaudy and it was great. And it was, it was a really good experience. We wrestled Jay Freddy and John Silver, the Thick Boys, and we won. And I think we'll be back at Limitless Wrestling regularly that's and that's me in a tag team with daniel garcia called the shooting gallery well that sounds exciting for you but that sounds like a lot of miles to be putting on there for your your car so perhaps uh if you live somewhere between maine and buffalo and you would like to get some private one-on-one time with brandon howard thurston russell momatrician you can uh set up a, a spot for him to stop and tutor you on the way to uh maine uh yes. maybe once a week or once a month yes that would help with my expenses um, I, we, we will have to privately negotiate a, uh, a, a tutoring rate by the hour, but yes. And do you, 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 got tutored recently. Uh, some, I did. there's some pictures on social media of Mr. Luke Harper from Rochester, New York, coming all the way to the worst city on earth. Yes. Buffalo, New York, as he will tell you. For some reason he came to Buffalo, New York. We were actually in Lackawanna. The school is actually in Lackawanna, which is like t- two miles from the city limits. But, uh, yeah, he came, came to Grapplers and he. We did like a kind of like a normal night of training, except for like everybody and their you know brother was there. It was like thirty five people. There's a picture, and I think I think if you count the heads, like thirty five people are there, and because uh, they all knew he was going to be there. And uh, we did eleven practice matches, and we taught some fundamentals to newer people as well. And he you know he chipped in, and he gave a lot of people good feedback, and you know, everybody really loved it. We did like a two hour Q and A with him too. Did you get him to bump? No, 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 no. He did not bump. 
And I saw both men and women at the uh, training session there. Yes. And, and she helps with, uh, that's Kate Carney. We, she helps with um, teaching fundamentals and stuff too. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And Brandon, now that you've conquered Maine, what is the next state on your uh, goal here? Is it going to be, uh, you, you need to get back to Philly so you can wrestle Anita? I am open for bookings against uh, Itsushi Anita. My fee is very high, though, because Anita is very, a very, very scary person. Very scary man. But, uh, no, I don't know. I'm going to PWR n- uh, next Saturday in Erie, Pennsylvania. Going to dominate that state again. I, m- I might even win a title. Title's on the line. PWR heavyweight title. So we'll see what happens. Indeed. Indeed. Um, uh, what I was going to talk to today about, Brandon, is, of course, uh, the craziness going on in WWE stock. And uh, have you been following the recovery all week long? I have not. I've been, I've been pretty busy. You're going to have to get me updated on this. I, I see there's been some Guggenheim comments, some J.P. Morgan comments. Uh, the stock stock market's been doing a little bit better in the last few business days, hasn't it? I know it, it was going through a really rough time the week before. My portfolio was taking a big hit. but Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a great graph we have in the, um, the, the Google Doc here where it shows how WWE stock peaked. Close to 100, not at quite at 100, more like at 95 around the end of September. And then you had the Khashoggi news. You had um, differences going on in the S&P marketplace. You had all sorts of stuff. And that stock just begins going down, 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 down. And it shoots down to below $70. And then it recovers again in, in the end of November to um, above 70 And then it shoots down again all the way down to almost $60, um, almost where it was back in the beginning of July, almost, you know, six months ago. And then this week, it's been almost a, a straight line back up, you know, starting the week mm-hmm. a little bit below $64. Then by the end of day one, 65, day two, around 66, day three, getting up 68. And then by November 30th, we saw a big jump. We're over 70 bucks. And now we're ending at a little, a hair, 73.96, below 75. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, below 74. So interesting just to see kind of the recovery for WWE. I would argue we have learned zero things about WWE in the past month here that we didn't know already, uh, specifically in the past week here. Yeah, if, if, um, and I'm looking at a, a graph of the S&P 500 over the same six-month time period. And, and the, this last week or two, it really reflects WWE and the S&P 500 uh, just from my eyeball look, seem to correlate quite a bit. And so it's funny to see how, you know, when one of these stocks says, oh, it could be, you know, 86 instead of 84, that supposedly helps the, the marketplace. But the reality is it's the same information we've always known, which is WWE is going to supposedly announce their UK deal in the next four weeks here. Uh, you know, the, the, we were hearing more and more news about what's happening with NXT UK, um, with, you know, all the different people that are, are now kind of getting more and more exclusive contracts with Pete Dunn and Tyler Bate and Trent Seven and Tony Storm and Rio, Rio Ripley and Eddie Dennis and Dave Mastiff and Jordan Devlin and Zach Gibson, James Drake, El Laguerio, uh, Mark Andrews, Joe Connors, Mark and Joe Kofi, uh, Wolfgang, Travis Banks, Flash Morgan Webster. I think T-Bone is in there somewhere. And then, you know, even people like Walter, who is apparently actually signed like an NXT UK deal and then agreed to just base himself out of Germany. Yeah. Um, Mookie just mispronounced about half of those names. So apologies to those wrestlers out there. No, but. no, no. Mookie correctly pronounced all of those names. Unfortunately, the UK pronunciations have not yet fallen in line with standard American English uh, as pronounced perfectly by 
Christian Mookie got a hairy yes. every single time. But we have no no idea. We have no clues yet about what the UK deal is. And they've, they've promised, they've been promising this for like a year, right? That they're going to announce a, a new UK TV deal by the end of this year. And as you said, they've only got four weeks to, to go here. Though we do have, um, George has got a big talk coming up. The UBS talk uh, this Tuesday. This Tuesday in New York or something. And you know there's one less trading day this week. That's right, because George H.W. Bush, Bush passed away the other night, and um, they're going to close and the market on Wednesday. morning. Yeah. yeah. They uh, they canceled the stock market for a day, which I was unaware it happened. That was news to me. Do they do that when, when presidents die? Do they do that I for Reagan? Up, and they did it when Reagan died. They okay. did it when Ford died. They did it when uh, even when Nixon died. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not – we don't have, like, a completely strict rule that says you have to do this. But it has been the policy of the New York Stock Exchange, basically, to do that. Okay. So it says he's uh, expected to talk at 1.45 p.m. Eastern Time, the 46th annual UBS Global Media and Communications Conference, New York City. Um, and uh, it should be available online for us to listen in on. Um, and so I have a feeling next week's show is going to be probably dominated by that discussion. Yeah, it, oh, th- there's there's a webcast link on the on the corporate website for WWE already, so I expect to be listening to that live. Yeah, and and usually you and I will listen to that. Um, I found this UBS conference to be kind of the kickoff of conference season. Is usually you kind of have this December through like March, where there's a couple conferences where the, those comments coming. And of course, this was really exciting five years ago, six years ago, when we were about to kick off the WWE Network, and we were getting more and more hints about what was going to happen. Um, it's, it's kind of quieted down in recent years about having big revelations. But, uh, one, one point that I keep trying to make to everyone is that WWE having two co-presidents in Michelle Wilson and George Berrios is a very new thing. This has not been going on for a year. This started in, I think, February of this year. Yeah. So we're barely a year into this new reign and you'd say, well, what, what's different? What's changed? And I'd say very little yet. But what they're doing is they're building the bricks, um, position by position, uh, uh, ecosystem by ecosystem, tranche by tranche, or, uh, uh, whatever George's, uh, phrase would be, but to build what a new version of what WWE Network is going to become. And so I'm really curious to see what implications there is around just his strategy focus, because you can't rely forever on the idea that you just got a big TV rights deal and that's going to be worth a gazillion dollars. And, uh, that's all you have to do. And in fact, I was thinking about it this morning. And one thing I, I'm curious about is whether or not WWE is going to get all that money that, that they think they're going to get. From what? From the TV from, deals. From the UK TV deals. No, no, no. From the US TV deals. What do you think? Fox and, and say, NBC Universe well, are going to pay out? Well, here's the thing. So they used a agent. I don't remember whether it was um, UTA or WGA or who who they ended up using as their final agent. Um, for the Fox deal. But remember, there was all that talk about how they ended up bringing in an agent this time and they didn't do it in-house. Mm-hmm. Well, and speculation is to kind of politically protect whatever W corporate executive would have been involved. Well, plus those people are much better at negotiating okay. TV deals because they do it every single mm-hmm. day with okay. hundreds of properties. Yeah. And they, but one consequence of that is that those are expensive, not just in the upfront costs, but sometimes they even take a percentage of the deal. As a commission. Okay. Where, you know, say you won a $200 million commission. Well, maybe they're taking 5% of that. So I, I just mean that there's a little bit more in the fees that I think some people might be recognizing. Um, 
because they might be assuming, oh, all that money's going to go to WWE. And there actually might be some that's going to kind of middlemen in a way that it, it was just kind of striking me today when I was thinking about it. And the same thing might be true in the UK deal and the India deal, depending on whether or not they're, they're, um, you know, working with other people. Uh, I fully think UK deal is going to be with Sky. I, I just don't see ITV coming up to play. I don't see Amazon making a big deal. I don't see, um, any of the other players that kind of were, were people that were driving the price up last time to really be the same this time. So I, I do think that, um, it's probably going to be with Sky once again. Mm-hmm. And so WME, IMG and an, an Endeavor CEO. And those are two separate companies, right? That those are not just the same company that has been recently rebranded, right? And Ari Emanuel is uh, the CEO of Endeavor, who helped uh, helped W negotiate their deal, at least with Fox, if not NBC Universal as well. But I don't know if that would have been the final one. I thought they, at the last minute, they brought in a different team um, from a different company because they felt that it was a conflict of interest because of the UFC deal. That uh, originally it was going to be Endeavor, and then at the very last minute they ended up switching to a different team because then they they were really afraid that there was going to be a conflict there. <clears throat> like if you find, are you looking at that sporting news or the sports business journal one about like the battle to get the deals done? Yes. How, how UFC, let's see how UFC and WWE, uh, the fight to sell UFC and WWE's media rights. Uh, and I think there was out of, out of this report, we learned that there was some pressure from Fox to drop WME IMG from the negotiations. According to her, this is from a, a Fightful article now, but according to a report from the Sports Business Journal, a move was made by Fox representatives to pressure the W into using a different company during negotiations other than Ari Emanuel and WMEIMG. Media Manu- 1.5 billion and CAA was behind a $2.4 billion deal by NBC Universal and Fox. Yeah. So, so C- yeah, they, they did end up going to CAA. So CAA is the, com- is the company that you're trying to think of, right? Yeah. Creative artists, okay. uh, advocates or agency. Yeah. So I guess just my point was that, you know, everyone's assuming that all 205 goes straight to WWE, but I just want to make the be a little bit lower. Now, that's not going to be the difference between WWE being an incredibly rich company and WWE being a poor company. But it just kind of makes me think um, that WWE is still going to have to keep finding engines to make themselves exciting. And right now, um, there, there's crazy views on this. Uh, I don't know if you saw this piece by, I think it's Stan Victor was his name on Seeking Alpha. They have yeah. nothing to worry about as far as attendance and TV ratings. Yeah. This guy wrote this piece basically saying, I'm, I, I, I used to be really bearish on WWE. However, I've had a revelation. Ooh. Investors should view WWE as simply a streaming service. WWE network and paid subscriptions to its VOD library and its pay-per-views is really the secret sauce here. My realization is that nothing else in the business matters, or at least anything else is just a bonus. Everything WWE does from live events and merchandising to TV distribution deals is simply a conduit to get people to sign up for the WWE network. As long as the show performances are distributed around the world via the subscription service, live TV viewership numbers do not matter. What about TV rights? No, he just said right there in the middle of it. He said TV distribution deals is simply a conduit. But but those are but the TV rights uh, section of their business is worth far more than the W network is on a profit basis, on a revenue basis, just on every appreciable measure. But you know, on invisible, made up measures, it's not okay. Well, that doesn't make much sense, but okay. Yeah. 
So it's a crazy piece. It's a, it's a crazy way of taking it. But it, I, I think it just speaks to, you know, this is toys.com to me sometimes. This is, this is like the web boom of 2000 where the more money you lose, the better your company must be because we're using reverse logic to evaluate things sometimes where people just fixate on something and say, Oh, the WWE network is, is got 1.7 million people. Uh, soon though, they could have 1.8 million people, Brandon, maybe even 1.9 million people. But the and growth. we would have only sacrificed hundreds of millions of dollars to acquire maybe a couple hundred thousand subscribers. How is that not a good deal? Yeah, but the subscriber growth of the WWE Network has slowed over time. Exactly. We're, we're getting some incremental no, I mean, growth still, but it's not... Uh, I would not be hoping for the three to four million that George Barrios projected the, all those years ago. Uh, and, but they might get some more value out of it by tiering. I think the Fox deal is great for WWE for exposure. It will have a halo effect on their sub numbers. Absolutely. Just don't think it's going to have a meaningful halo, halo effect anywhere in correspondence to the hundreds of millions of dollars they're getting for SmackDown. But I think it's a win-win for WWE because you both expose yourself to a larger audience and at the same time can cross-promote other things. But the concept that WWE is based about it being a subscription service is once again the fundamental flaw of people not understanding what is wrestling about. Wrestling's about stars. Wrestling's about content. And it's not about just people who want to, quote, buy the WWE network. Mm -hmm. You're fighting with so many other networks and so many other people who who want to buy your streaming dollar. And the the idea that you can get these niche services to a long period of time is going to be very, very, I think, as we see bundles begin to grow and you see the DAZNs and the ESPN Pluses and, and the Bleach Report Lives and all these other services that are coming together to kind of bring many different sports onto a single platform, you know, these, these niche corners are going to have to either be the MLB TVs, the absolute premieres of their world, or they're going to have to fold into somebody else. I've said it before. I always thought flow, flow sports was a great acquisition target for these companies that want to kind of expand their library very quickly. Um, and if you were trying to look at the, uh, the viability of the, the model of flow sports, you might be better off just thinking of it as a startup that's waiting to be acquired by a Google rather than looking at it as someone who wants to be the next Facebook. So I, I was just really intrigued by the fact that we're back up to $74. I have to believe the UK deal is going to get people excited. Um, it'd be curious to see whether or not George has anything to say about that um, by the December 3rd or whether they will have the a deal announced. I, I just feel like we're already at the point here where it's going to be later and later and later in the year. Um, I don't think they have any more big uh, UK tapings going on this year though right they usually happens in november no they already did they already did them in november and they'll be back in april that's the international yeah. touring schedule and then don't they also have the takeover in january they announced a takeover in january that's right they did so i don't know maybe so, uh, but that'll probably be nxt stuff you know that's what they do they, they it, bring over nxt it will. i mean that that the only the only counter to that could be is if they really wanted to you know make a big splash you could include the uk tv deal as part of that UK takeover in early January. I guess it's, uh, let's see, how late is it? It's, 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 um, Blackpool, January 12th. Yeah, that's, that's not bad. So that, that's going to be mean, the first takeover that's not going to be ran, uh, at least in a while, right? In, in years, that's not going to be ran, uh, side by side with a, a big pay per view, especially one that's going to be not at full sale. Is that completely true? Didn't they do, um, challenge me? Was it not a UK? Maybe they did t- TV tapings, but they didn't do a takeover when they went to like Australia and Japan. They did an NXT takeover London. Maybe that was also the same situation. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But just, I just think it's in, intriguing that, you know, you, you oftentimes do want to tent pull these things by like being in market to make a big deal about the fact you have a new TV deal. And yes, they can just send somebody over to go do it. But I could also see them maybe trying to piggyback the two to say, Hey, we have a new big deal. And still there's a, a big question looming about whether or not they would throw an NXT UK type television program onto UK television. And then maybe make that just a higher tier opportunity here domestically or something. Yeah. You never know. You never know. Um, ROH is, uh, kind of coming back from the dead in my mind about, I, I, I say that disparagingly, but it, it does feel like, you know, they, they've been kind of the third rant here between, uh, New Japan and WWE. And of course, the rumors of this AEW all elite wrestling company, um, that, that Ring of Honor has really been left in the cold. Um, which is funny to say for a company that's got it such a big show coming up later on this year, but, uh, they are making some announcements. I know they just recently announced that they re-signed Jay Lethal to, I think, a three-year deal. And, uh, and they made announcements of two more wrestlers coming in, right? Yeah. The PCO, Pierre Carl Olet, has been signed to, to Ring of Honor, according to him, for the biggest money of his career. And, mm. uh, and, and a rising, uh, in, indie star Brody King has been signed as well to Ring of Honor. Yeah. And, I think it says a couple things. First of all, MLW, their placement in the marketplace. Uh, if you can get, if you can start signing their people to new deals and they can even not fulfill their remaining dates, that should tell you something about how strong those MLW contracts are. Mm-hmm. Not very so, strong is what you're saying. I'm saying, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I, I mean, I'm sure there are some guys that are signed to very strong deals, but, um, it does say something to me about like the viability of when people try to argue, Oh no, well, you know, maybe number three right now is MLW or something. Well, I mean, like, I mean, if like you don't have exclusive contracts on your guys. Mm-hmm. You are incredibly at risk. Well, I mean, like, what what is MLW getting out of the people who they're signing? They're getting priority, right? And nothing else. So think about how much that would cost. That wouldn't cost as much as real exclusivity. Within, yeah, within yeah absolutely. I'm just making the point that yeah. I think we are still in a marketplace where we have to g- drive towards exclusivity because it is increasingly difficult to um, just rely that you'll be able to get the talent and you won't have some other deal interfere with it. Anything from a world of sport type situation all the way down to WWE NXT UK deals. So you think that just getting talent prior getting priority over talent is, is not enough. You need to be yeah, exclusive world, worldwide or, I, I, or nationwide because an inter- international deal might come up that might make the talent that you have signed unavailable to you nonetheless. And, and it just says maybe we've gone through the, the latest kind of halcyon days of it being good where you could see the same talent all around the world working so many different places mm-hmm. and that we're going to go back to the world of, of a lot more rigid exclusivity between wh- who can work where and when and how. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I feel like the, the door is closing. I feel like 2018 will be the end of that chapter that for a couple of years here, you, you had guys that were able to bounce around quite a lot. And we even saw this in places you never thought you'd see it, like in Mexico with AAA and CMLO, where you had guys like Phoenix and, and, and Pentagon working, you know, promotions that in the past would never have allowed people to work both, but it was people like LA park kind of kicking the door down. And let's think about like the recent history of these types of contracts. It really goes back to what Ring of Honor and, and Evolve or WN uh, signing kind of rising indie stars to these deals where they would get priority 
or the WN deals would say that he, if, if WWE makes you an offer, you can go to WWE, but you can't take bookings with Ring of Honor. And um, and then, you know, the Flow Slam deal, where that really kind of sent some shockwaves through through groups where people started to get nervous about, you know, why is this group signed to Flow Slam, and can I use this talent in other ways? Um, the, the bizarreness of Evolve not being part of a WWE network-type um, streaming service, the... Of course, the way that fell apart <laughs> reminds me. I should go look up in that lawsuit just see if there's been any movement on that for a while. I haven't thought about that for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and just the other challenges being with, of course, you know, when World of Sport decided to make another go of it, and there was kind of that that counterpunch of trying to sign a whole bunch of people to screw with that. It's it's been um very interesting, kind of um the last few years here. Mm-hmm. And again, we've even seen things like all Japan saying that they're going to start running, you know, what was it? Tryout camps here in the U S for oh, the really? first time. I hadn't heard that. Um, yeah. but, but it's, it's interesting to think about like we, I mean, if you go through a, a longer history of, of, of wrestling, you know, the territory days where there really weren't strong written contracts, right? Everybody just kind of went wherever they were going to be. They were in a territory for a given amount of time, went to another territory. It wasn't really rigid and people were more like independent contractors. And then as you get into the late eighties and nineties, then you've got real separation between like WF and WCW as far as who's signed to what. And then, um, after the, after the WCWWF war ended, and there's obviously people still signed to WWE, but there's a lot of indie wrestlers who are just wrestling wherever, doing whatever. And, uh, and eventually we got, like I was talking about before, we got some Ring of Honor contracts, some WN contracts, people being signed to those contracts, but also wrestling in other places. And Mookie thinks now we're going to see the, the walls become more and more rigid and the, the divider lines between promotions and who you belong to become more and more well-defined. All Japan holding tryouts in San Jose in March Ooh. of 2019 in conjunction with Pro Wrestling Revolution. Okay. What are they going to do? Like sign some American wrestlers to be young lines? Or they don't have young lines, or they have whatever, they, you know, new wrestlers? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, um, they also mentioned Jun Akiyama is going to be wrestling. It'll be his U.S. debut. Wow. Uh, be, He's never wrestled obviously. in the U.S., has he? Hmm. Yeah, that's what everyone keeps keeps being like. What is that really possible? And they yeah. keep like trying he, to he never, play the game out in their head to say, is that really true? But um, yeah, because he never did yeah. any of that Ring of Honor stuff. Masawa, Kobashi, and Kensa and Marafuji did, but but Akiyama did not. Yeah, and uh, so that's. I just think that's interesting that you know we're even seeing, and I, I'm always curious about those kind of tryouts, whether or not they, oh, whether they're marked tryouts or not. Where mm-hmm. you know, do they really have a plan for what they're going to do with you? Or are they going to take the one or two uh, gaijin who they already, you know, normally would take over? Yeah. What's the fee? Um, that Is there a fee? Have connections with people. Is there a fee? Um, it, you know, it just said email. It, and if you're listening, you want to do this tryouts at pro wrestling dash revolution.com limited spots available. Um, this was posted about a month ago on Reddit. And uh, I know I've heard some other top chatter about it since then. And uh, he will also be taking part in the All Japan Pro Wrestling Tryouts. So best of luck to Akiyama. I hope he makes it. He's going to be trying out himself for his own promotion. I'm hoping. I'm okay. hoping that's what the, the language means. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about MSG and NXT. Yeah. So last week, you and I were, we were befuddled. We were um, confused. We were uh, disoriented and perplexed. On whether or not NXT and MSG were going to be running head to head. And then we looked it up and we saw that the tickets did say they were going to run head to head, but quote, t- you know, it was like time subject to change or something. 
Yeah, and we looked at the Barclays calendar, and it and it did list NXT for Saturday night last week. But as of December first, which is yesterday, it did say that WWE has has switched it up, and they have mentioned that it will now NXT Takeover New York will be held on Friday, April fifth. The Hall of Fame ceremony will take place on Saturday, April 6th. And it says it's going back to quote its previous WrestleMania week schedule, uh, yes. which was, was Friday, then Saturday. And it's interesting, of course, because the MSG show, uh, will be going head to head, in fact, with the Hall of Fame ceremony instead of the, uh, ROH and New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Supercard at Madison Square Garden on Saturday, May 9th. So WWE is so- backing down. From Ring of Honor in New Japan. That's what I'm, that's what I should read here, right? I don't know what to read into this. It's, it's a weird one because in some way it's not the same audiences and they've already sold out pretty much all those MSG tickets. I mean, they're trying to resell a bunch of them now. Um, but for whatever reason, they're choosing not to do that, uh, head to head, which I, I do find intriguing. Network viewership, maybe. But well, come on, yeah, yeah, network viewership because people will be that the Ring of Honor New Japan show will be a pay per view of some sort. There's a factor. I don't know. That's certainly not the only factor. Yeah, you know, it could be for from a from a staging and ring work type thing. I would imagine it's a heck of a lot easier to do a Friday night wrestling show. Saturday night is not a wrestling show, and Sunday is a wrestling show. So that you don't feel that your production crew is necessarily the same sort of stressed out. Well, I just found tickets that are not on sale yet for NXT TakeOver in Barclays Center on April 5th. They will go on sale in two days, Wednesday, December 5th at 10 a.m. Eastern. Okay, so it could also be a ploy that they were afraid that they're, they would not immediately sell out and that would make them look really bad. Yeah. Which is a fair fair fear, is that even people who couldn't get MSTG tickets, it sounds like there's hundreds, if not thousands, available now on resale. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's the right thing to do for them, is that if you want to maximize your opportunity, it, it might not make the most sense for you to run head-to-head. And, of course, the conspiracy theorist and everyone will start saying, well, that means we can expect that Kenny Omega and the Bucks are going to show up on NXT TakeOver and the MSG show. On both shows. But but they would both have to be on. they haven't been advertised for. Yes. Well, but they would have to be on the WWE show first. The the idea would be that they, if they would be jumping ship from New Japan slash Ring of Honor to WWE, how do you do that when the WWE show comes on Friday and the New Japan Ring of Honor show comes on Saturday? Because they have the super duper contract because they get signed to the best contract in the universe that even allows them to run the MSG show. An open contract. Open contract. A, a uh, the, the, the CM Punk of all contracts. I see. The Brock Lesnar of all contracts. And then there'll, show, there'll probably be a UFC fight that weekend, too, that maybe they'll do a run-in on. <laughs> probably be on uh, DAZN. They'll also show up mm-hmm. at the board meeting of DAZN, and they'll super kick everybody on the board. Yes. But, yeah, I think that's uh, really intriguing. Um, it, it's so fascinating that, you know, WWE is not going to have MSG, uh, you know, Monopoly. After so many years, and yet it does sound like they're actually probably going to be running a lot more MSG next year. WWE is. Yeah, I believe so. That uh, I think they're going back into the garden a lot more. For house shows? Kind of re-cement that relationship. Just for house shows? Probably just for house shows, because it's so darn expensive to run a show there yeah. and do a taping. Yeah. 
it's just an intriguing place. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating that even in the year of our Lord, 2019, uh, MSG is still the epicenter of the wrestling wars. Yes. So we know Mookie will be going to Japan for Wrestle Kingdom. Will he be going to, uh, New York City for WrestleMania? Will I be going to New York City for WrestleMania? I might be. I think that's the better question is, uh, is Brandon's aunt going to put him up for WrestleMania weekend? She or is, will. in fact, Brandon going to be staying at a La Quinta Inn somewhere? Uh, and, uh, is that like a nice, is that a nice hotel? Special. Is that a nice hotel, La Quinta? La Quinta, is that a nice hotel? He has. Is that a nice hotel? I don't know. I stayed in the Econo Lodge for last WrestleMania. Yes, you did. And that was quite the challenge, as Mookie says. That was a challenge. Um, I stayed at a uh, Sheraton uh, this past week. I was in San Diego all week long, hmm. uh, stuck in a hotel room. You were and, you were monitoring uh, the border situation, weren't you? My, you know, truthfully speaking, there was no less than fifty customs and border guards staying in our hotel. Wow. So like every day, like 50 guys with guns and heavy artillery would like come piling out of the car, out of the elevators and like jump into a bus and then take off and then come back that night. Weapons in the hotel. Kind of. Wow. Yeah. And, and it was just like, I, I guess they're like reservists who got called in or something. It's crazy. But yeah. Um, no, no, the, the parting gift was of course Marriott having a giant data breach on Friday. And so as I, as I woke up, it said, you know, 500 million people's identities leaked by Marriott. Including your credit card number? Uh, it includes a lot of data. And of course they, they have no clue how much information it would include. Yes. It's probably been dumped into a Google sheet by now and shared. Well, I mean, it's one of these where they say, basically they, they probably got the encrypted version of all the credit card numbers. Hmm. Now the question is, did they get the key? Hmm. We'll never know. But, you know, cryptocurrency. Um, I'm joking. But yeah, so that was that was my week in San Diego. I don't know whether I'm going to go to WrestleMania or not. I haven't I have not made that decision. I'm actually it's I'm the sort of guy that I have a very difficult time kind of bringing my life past a certain milestone where I kind of fixate on that milestone. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like that trip to Japan. OK, that's a cool weekend. That's a big week for me. And so that would be really cool. But my birthday's right after that. My wedding anniversary's right after that. There's mm. a whole, like, anniversaries of other stuff right after that. So it's going to be a really busy couple months for me yeah. right after that. But I'm not focusing on that at all. I'm just like, get to Christmas, spend a week with my family, spend a week in Japan, figure out what happens after that. So now here, here's I what mean, I'm banking on. I'm, I'm hoping that by April, there will be so much talent signed to various exclusive contracts that uh, to 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 populate all of these indie shows with talent, they'll, they're going to have to call me up. I'm going to they're gonna have to reach for the bottom of the barrel here, and somebody's going to pay pay my way to New York City. I don't think it's the bottom of the barrel. I think it's the top of the cup, right? Whatever you say. It's right behind you. It's right over your. Uh, so people can't see here. Brandon has has festooned the cup festooned. with Christmas lights what a word. and like streamers at this point. Oh, and there's a like idea. a little like flashing like beacon next to it. So it's very distracting hmm. watching him on the Google video. None, none of this is, none of this is true, but it is inspiring. And uh, I may be going to, to a store later, if not today, tomorrow to buy some Christmas lights and to wrap this trophy in. That's a great idea for social, well, social media purposes, because as you know, to be a professional wrestler who has any success these days, you have to be astounding on social media. And that includes, that may include Christmas lights blinking if possible. 
I think your whole gimmick should be that you're the cup master. And like you, you not only, you have the big cup here, but you come out with sippy cups, you come out with plastic cups, you come out with commemorative Coca-Cola cups. No, no, you just, not, now you've gone too far. Not, now you're flanderizing the gimmick. Not, no. And, but the whole idea is that you, you evaluate the, uh, the caliber of your opponent and then you decide the type of cup that they are worthy of competing for against, uh, someone who is as, as talented as you. Mm. No, I've, I've already tuned, tuned you out. I'm not doing it. I feel like a I feel like a uh, uh, idea machine coming from grapplers and, and knowing how they must be. Yeah, this right. is probably why George Barrios has no creative input because these are probably the sort of ideas he's coming up with. He's pitching to Vince McMahon. <laughs> how dare you? Um, speaking of creative ideas, uh, new legal filings this week. I know I'm not always the best. I've been posting these over on the Reddit uh, we have. Uh, I'm pretty much the only guy over there, but I'm I am still actually updating it every now and then. Little things. So this week, um, because it was it was kind of a, a truncated week last week with uh, Thanksgiving, and so this is a two-week kind of legal filings thing. And uh, the interesting legal filings this week was one of them was was a, a memo in opposition to defendants' motions to dismiss the first amended complaint in the Alexander versus Take Two Interactive Software lawsuit, which of course is which lawsuit, Brandon? The Randy Orton tattoo lawsuit. That's right. That's correct. Well done. Um, so. That's just their argument, basically, on why they, they would argue they should not dismiss um, the lawsuit. And so I think it's worth reading. Um, that's an interesting one. It makes a lot of references to what is it called? Solid Oak Sketchers, which is the other kind of famous tattoo lawsuit going on right now against like NBA 2K um, over, I think it's LeBron James uh, tattoos and very similar kind of uh, scope on things. So that's one that's worth reading. Um, there was a lot of minor filings in the Johnson versus Flair case, which is the uh, ex-husband of Ashley Flair, um, who's suing her over kind of what she wrote about him in the book and defamation and all these other things. And um, up until now, he's been kind of pro se as a lawyer, but it looks like he might've finally got himself a lawyer. So I'm glad to hear that for he, his sake. He's not just um, writing his own complaints anymore. I'm hopefully it's a, it mentions someone who is appearing on his behalf. And so, uh, just for the sake of people, I think doing the best job that they can when it comes to legal actions, I, I don't think being pro se is a good idea. Usually, hmm. um, there was some filings in the global force entertainment versus Anthem sports. Um, a lot basically by the GFW, GFE, whatever you want to call it, Jeff Jarrett's side of the business, um, response in opposition to the motion to dismiss for the lack of jurisdiction motion to dismiss the plaintiff's claims for lack of personal matter jurisdiction. That's one filing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically, if you recall, do you remember what their argument was? What Anthem's argument was? To dismiss the case? Yes. Uh, no, I don't. They said we're Canadian. Oh, okay. Uh, wrong. Yeah, you don't have jurisdiction to sue us. Yeah, you, they just basically said we're, we're Canadian. You, you can't sue us in Tennessee law. We're Canadian, we're, Canadian. We're, we're above the law. And so, so, so basically it's, it's their argument that no, there is a, a matter of personal matter jurisdiction. It doesn't apply to them. And then they also had another one. There's, um, response in opposition to the dismissal to failure to state a claim and or lack subject matter jurisdiction by global force entertainment. So, um, those were interesting little filings. Uh, nothing, I mean, like earth shattering or anything, but if any of you are lawyers out there, these are the longer filings that sometimes a little bit juicier in terms of the, the academic arguments back and forth, which, you know, ultimately they play a huge role 
they're, they're not as sexy as, you know, what the, the dirt you want to find in a wrestling lawsuit is, but they're going to play a much bigger role in terms of whether the judge keeps the lawsuit or throws it out. And then, uh, Kairos had a little bit of activity in this past week here. Um, one filing was, uh, or one blog post was all about water polo. Water polo. Subjects. Yeah. And basically this argument about apparently some water polo players, um, sued over, uh, basically concussion from 1990. Let's see. What, what year was it? A 16 year old, uh, daughter got a post concussion syndrome. Um, and USA water polo, uh, was liable for her injuries, uh, in 2014 in a tournament. Uh, and basically, according to at least Kairos's interpretations of things around gross negligence that in fact it worked. And so then he has this graphic here that says water polo equals legal rights. WWE wrestlers equal no legal rights. And he's used a very old WWF logo. Um, like the WWF logo from like 2000, 2001. The WF scratch logo. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one. Um, he also filed a, uh, I mentioned a while ago that he had filed a whole bunch of appeals and he did a, a blog posting where he in fact, um, listed all the different appeals, uh, that he did. And so it's the William Hayes appeal, which is, uh, Billy Jack Haynes, um, the, uh, Russ McCullough, my, Matt Weiss and Ryan Sakota, which is Sakota from the very short lived, um, Sakota to Jerry faction. Hmm. Um, Matt, Weiss or Weissy, I think it's Weiss is how you say his name, is Luther Reigns or Horseshoe is the two names he's known by. And then Russ McCullough is also known as Big Russ McCullough. And he was a, a developmental guy and uh, actually has has one of the worst stories in there where he, he claims basically as a punishment, I think Rikishi came in and beat the crap out of him with a chair as like yeah. a, a combination like know your role and a, uh, you know, hazing type thing. And he got injured pretty bad from that. In training, that happened? Um, no, it was actually, it happened on a show. Okay. It happened on like it a developmental show? Like a developmental yeah. show out in California when they had, um, what was their California one? The, the one Cena came from. You, you, oh, uh, yeah, UPW. UPW, Ultimate, I think. Ultimate Pro Wrestling. I think it was a UPW show. Okay. Um, and there also was an appeal there for Cassandra Frazier on behalf of Nelson Frazier, which is, of course, Viscera, Big Daddy V whatever you want to call him. Mabel. Uh, Mabel. Yep. Um, then you have Evan Singleton and Vito LaGrasso, which is of course Vito LaGrasso, better known as, you know, Vito, um, Vito, the dress wearing freak, Vito from the Baldies, etc. Mm-hmm. And then, or, um, uh, Skull Van Crush. You want to go way back in the day. And then Evan Singleton, um, developmental wrestler. Um, then you had, uh, and Evan Singleton, as I will also mention, is the guy who I think is doing all the bodybuilding contests now. And there's been back and forths about whether or not he's, you know, too injured to do something. In fact, he's lots of pictures of him doing bodybuilding now. Um, there's the John Laurinaitis and 59 other people versus WWE and Vince McMahon, which is the road warrior animal on down. And then um, there's the sanctions. And then there's a question about the sanctions appeal and the dismissal of the Laurinaitis case. So he filed basically, um, it, it's called a form C and the, for the second circuit court of appeals, this is all about the concussion lawsuits. So he put onto his blog, all the form C's for all of these different cases that I just mentioned here. And each one of them runs probably 300 pages, um, because it's a combination of all of the, um, 
all the people involved in the case, which sometimes is very long just to list that, plus the appeals, plus all of the uh, rulings that they're appealing, plus the um, docket itself with the name of like all the different actions that happened in the case. So um, if you're looking for a whole lot of content that is completely free, www.concussionlawsuitnews.com. You can watch the video that we covered on uh, this show. Uh, I think on the free show, in fact, um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he, he keeps reposting it and putting it higher on the blog. So when you open the blog, it's always the first post. But um, he continues to post other things, uh, including a lot of legal documents. So kind of interesting. Yeah, I think he's posting this stuff mainly for the benefit of you and Jerry McDivitt, right? We, we're the two people that appear to be reading it the most, possibly with Bix as number three. I think I think it's just the the three or four of us these days, mm-hmm. but I mean he's posted some interesting stuff like, like all the Chris Benoit stuff he posted, um, you know, including Chris Benoit's contract, mm-hmm. which you know is is one of those things where I was like, wow, this is really interesting and just in this day and age just completely flew under the radar. But um, you know, for a guy who who tracks down wrestling contracts all the time, it's very interesting to me. And he posts a lot about other cases that he thinks are are analogous to wrestling. So NCAA performers and water polo or college wrestlers or, or NFL lawsuit, anybody else who, who appears to have a similar case mm-hmm. and, and what's happening in those cases and how different they are than what happened in the WWE case. We'll see like athletes involving uh, head injuries. Yes. So um, that's one thing I just wanted to cover quickly is to say, we do have a Reddit. It's uh, reddit.com slash r slash Russellnomics. And uh, I'm still periodically putting things up there. And we will probably put some more stuff up there around the uh, George Berrios talk this week. Um, that will probably be a good source for, for uh, transcript and other things that we might post mm-hmm. in, in addition to that, uh, along with uh, being on Twitter. And I'm very disappointed to say I did not play any role in breaking this case because I uh, I, I do love kind of zooming through websites and trying to find interesting links. But uh, it appears all the XFL cities have been announced. Yes. I, I, I heard that in a car th- uh, this weekend. So they are Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Lackawanna, Niagara Falls, mm-hmm. Albany, mm-hmm. Schenectady, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Covington Heights. Mm. All, all, all upstate New York cities as, as it just so happens. I just made up that last city. Yeah, that's not even a real place. But oh. um, no, they're really, they, they actually are Dallas, Houston, LA, New York, St. Louis, Seattle, Tampa Bay, and Washington, D.C. So these so, are all cities that have NFL teams. Um, Not all of them still have NFL teams, though, do they? You're asking the wrong people. Yeah, I, th- I, I think, think the, does, uh, does LA have a football team right now? What an embarrassing question to ask. Well, aren't they getting the Rams? Isn't that the whole deal? Yeah, L.A. Rams. The Rams are in, in L.A. right now. Yes. Yes, they are. So so every city here has a football team. Unless I'm mistaken, it's the Rams are moving. No, no, that was that was a different thing. I'm all confused. Yeah, we are the worst people possible to talk about football. But I, I think that the interesting things to me are, are number one, I'm going to be fascinated if any of these um, cities also kind of double up to be WrestleMania cities because – it's well known that WWE was in fact kind of sharing resources with the XFL side to help kind of negotiate some of these things, including using some of the same people that negotiate the, the WrestleMania stuff. So WrestleMania is happening in New York this year. 
There's no Minneapolis yeah. here. Minneapolis didn't get an XFL team. They didn't. And and I'm not surprised they didn't. Um, you know, if anything, I'd expect them to, to go more to warm weather cities as much as they can. Um, no, because no especially New since here. aren't they trying to play between like February and, 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 and June or something? Spring football. Yeah. So it's, it's not the most glorious time to be in the, in, in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll just be curious to see the crossover between the two. We're still waiting, of course, on the next WrestleMania announcement, um, for, uh, what's coming up in the coming years. Uh, there's always, of course, WrestleMania is a big rumor, but, you know, if, if you Google right now, Minneapolis, WrestleMania, you know, what comes up most. What? Uh, Jer- uh, Jesse Ventura was recently in town to talk to our governor and elect Tim Walls. And of course, every time they ask like, Jesse, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm in the same shape I was in when I was a, uh, a Navy SEAL. And they're like, why is that? And he's like, well, you never know what you got to be ready for. Could be the presidency, could be WrestleMania. And he has to be in physical shape to, to become the president. Oh, well, he seems he has to be in Navy he, SEAL he, shape. I think I think that's part of part of his gimmick is that you know to be well, he's always got to be ready. Well, the, the, the job of president seems to have changed quite a bit in the last year. So I mean, who knows yeah. what it will involve? <laughs> who knows? Especially a guy who lives most of the year in Mexico. Is that where he lives now? Yeah, yeah. He moved. I mean, maybe he's back in the U.S., but for a while there, he was living in Mexico mostly. He believes all sorts of conspiracy theories now, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he's 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 always been a a piece of work, put it that way. And uh, what's we just had? I think it was the 20th anniversary of his uh, inauguration. Mm-hmm. And one of the pieces I will say that was very very entertaining is they had on his um, chief of staff, and they said to him, "Well, you know, a lot of people compare Donald Trump's election to Jesse Ventura's," and the chief of staff goes off. And it's a pretty entertaining thing where he just, he just, he does a really good job of like just breaking down the like 30 differences between Ventura and Trump. And you you cannot agree with a lot of things that Ventura believed in, but there's also, he was also a lot. He, he, you know, people forget that he used to be like a mayor of a town and has had an extensive military experience and did a lot of other things in his life prior to kind of running for governor. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he was probably, um, un, underqualified in some ways, but he was also very, very in, integrated into political atmosphere at the time here in Minnesota. Mm. And, and people kind of forget how like it was a third party run and like we were kind of very split in Minnesota at the time, which is why it ended up working out. And then all the, all the crazy things that happened. And a lot of it just came down to he was very unwilling to negotiate with people for favors but he was very willing to negotiate with anyone. You weren't living in Minnesota at the time that he was governor, were you? No, no, I didn't move to Minnesota until 2006. So he was already well done by then, but I've, um, but I've talked to a lot of people and in the middle of that was when, um, a a man named Senator, uh, Wellstone died. And so that was a big deal because he, he died in a plane crash. It was a really bad scene. And then governor Ventura, and then they got into big fights at the funeral and all that. And my wife was working on the campaign for Wellstone at the time. So she was very uh, integrated with kind of what was happening there. And so I've talked to her a lot about that time. Oh yeah. Almost everybody has a Jesse story. I'll say that much even to this day. Uh, the only other thing I want to talk about was just, um, you know, every, six months or so. I like to just go on scholar.google.com 
and I just type in pro wrestling or wrestling or, or something of that fact. And then you can filter how old the articles are. So, you know, a lot of times I'll just filter it to the last year, or the last two years, just to see what is the new scholarship that has been posted about wrestling in the last couple of years here. And, um, there's, there's a amazing array of things that has come out in the last couple, uh, years here. Some of which, um, seems like it's really good. Some <laughs> of it, which seems like it's ridiculous. And, and these are mostly new seems- articles then. This is not from, these are mostly new articles within published within the last few years then. Yeah, this is like 2018 articles, Ooh. almost all of them. Okay. I don't think a single one of them are articles that have not been, that I've ever talked about or seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, one of them was uh, called the Native American playing Indian internal colonization and professional wrestling rhetoric. Um, and that was specifically about Tatanka. And, uh, and we don't have the links to these, the, the full text of these articles. We just know that they've been published. Is that right? Uh, almost every one of them, I found the full text and oh, I, I, I tried to link to the actual full text of the article. I see. I can buy them. I can buy this one for $18. I think that was the only one I was having an incredibly hard time actually finding the article. Hmm. Um, yeah, that one, I might not have ever been able to actually find that article. Cause I really did want to see what a Tatanka related article would be about. Um, most of the other ones I spent a while searching for other name, other like sources like narrative change in professional wrestling, audience address and creative authority in the era of smart fans by Christian Norman. Please read the uh, abstract for this Tatanka article. This article focuses on the tension extant extant was that mean in the ways in which Tatanka, a native American wrestler person assumes the identity of another tribe's person to generate both economic and social capital. We address Tatanka's narrative as an example of internal colonization and commodification given that he had had to play Indian to pass as an authentic Native American. We discuss these two critical concepts and then provide some analysis of the public fragments that surround Tatanka's narrative. Tatanka's still taking indie bookings, by the way. You can still book him. There's a Luke Harper versus Tatanka match you can watch from I'm like aware. 2CW or something. It's it's in Niagara Falls, New York. It was a... Uh, yeah. Buffalo? Was, BCW, maybe? No, it was like this one-off thing that happened in Niagara Falls, New York. Yeah. Yeah. It involved and, and a lot of tomahawk chops to the head and, and Luke Harper pacing <laughs> around the ring. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the other article I was just talking about, the smart fans article. Yeah. Uh, this was a PhD dissertation. Really? And uh, yeah, at uh, Georgia State University. Wow. And it's a, a methodological contribution to the field of critical rhetoric by positioning narrative theory as a powerful yet underutilized tool for examining the power dynamic between producer and consumer in a participatory media context. Hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, wrestling with a controller while professional wrestling's relationship with realism and narrative has hindered its remediation into the computer game form by Frank Roddy. Now, what is this Um, about? Is this about the fact that like when you play wrestling video games, you're playing it as if if it's, as if it's a shoot rather than trying to perform in a certain way to reach certain goals, which is the way that pro wrestling is actually performed. So this was written at the University of South Wales. So the abstract by Mr. Frank Ruddy, uh, who I found this article using his LinkedIn page. Yes. Um, the remediation of wrestling from television to video games has resulted in a loss of match narrative, match structure, and ring psychology. And later he talks about the paper questions whether or not wrestling belongs in any of the standard video game genres, sport, beat-em-up, franchise. It makes recommendations for recreating professional wrestling in the video game medium that accurately recreates the television-based spectacle. So I think the um, part of the idea is, is just around that 
the way you would structure a match for television is nothing like the way you structure a match when you're just like trying to win straight up in a professional wrestling game. So they want to make it more like you're performing for certain match quality goals. I think so. And I think they're just trying to make the point that one is kind of like a written story and the other is, is kind of like you're trying to do the shoot version of a written story. Yeah. I, yeah. I have not read this whole article. It's not very long. It's only about 17 pages. Hmm. So I, I do will challenge our, our listeners who um will be able to, to look at all these notes by just going to the RSS feed. We'll include a link to this in the RSS feed. Okay. And uh, they'll be able to click on it themselves and check it out. We'll, we'll put a link in the description is what you're asking me to do. Yes. 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 It will not be a separate instance in the RSS feed. You'll just be looking the looking the description of the podcast that you're listening to right now. And if I've done my job correctly, there'll be a hyperlink to the notes. That is correct. Um, the most WrestleNomics of WrestleNomics articles I could find here had to be statistical analysis of the frequencies of opponents' eliminations in Royal Rumble wrestling matches 1988 through 2018. You didn't write this? You didn't write this. I did not write this. Oh. And it was one of these things where I saw it and I was just like, I can't tell if this is awesome or terrible because it's basically just using Excel to look at something really basic. And, um, the, the people that wrote this are a combination of, um, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different people. Um, their universities include, um, three from Nigeria, one from UK, one from Italy and one from Ukraine. But almost all of the names. And what are, are their names? Are, what are their names? What are their names? I can't say all these, these names. These are these are Nigerian names. I'm not familiar with how to pronounce. Mm. But like uh, Hillary Okogabe and Azin Irondu and uh, Adarim uh, Atayeri and so forth. I'm not very good at, at Nigerian name pronunciation. Okay. But um, it just it's it's an open access piece that they put up as a data article. And it's, you know, it's fun in the sense that there's something to be said about it. I don't know what it is, <laughs> to be honest. I will have to spend some more time kind of digging through it to see what it would tell me. You know, is there really, you know, a, a magic spot that you should be, you'd want to be, you know, it talks a little bit about it, it is most likely that the first entrance often spends more time in the ring, leading to more eliminations while the last entrance comes in vitality and eliminates more opponents than who may have been exhausted after such a long time in the ring. So, you know, they're talking about different numbers and whatnot. So I, I love it in the sense that it's, it's as if you took, you know, it's, it's WrestleNomics 101. It's, it's taking wrestling data and then trying to apply some kind of standard to it. And if I was inventing a video game or something, I would actually love to have data like this because I think it would be really neat to model it as a way to, to look at computer behavior in a Royal Rumble. Maybe that's what we'll do next. A WrestleNomics video game. Yeah. <laughs> get two thirds done with that and then just quit too. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, so I, I, I just thought that was an entertaining thing. Um, there is the popular cultural studies journal, volume six, number one, 2018. And this is a, this is, is, is a, a fascinating epi like issue that they did. Um, but they, it's on two different subjects. So most of it's about professional wrestling. But then it also has a special section for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Hmm. So it kind of looks like it says special edition pro wrestling, special section, sexual assault. And I was like, well, how, 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 uh, quaint would that be? Hmm. If that in fact was what was happening here. 
Mm-hmm. But um, there's a lot of articles. I mean, it, it, have you opened this up to see it? I, th- I think I saw your tweet about it. Let's see here. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there's um, a piece called Why Professional Wrestling Studies Now Legitimizing a Field of Interdisciplinary Study. There's one called Professional Wrestling Scholarships, Legitimacy and Kayfabe. There's Squared Circle Intentionalities, What a Framework for Wrestling Studies Can Look Like. Emotions are Running High, Psychology. Psych- Psychological as- approaches to the study of professional wrestling, a critical criminology of professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Um, I learned most of my anatomy from WWE, a health communication argument for health related studies of pro wrestling. Where that is the soul American? Plexus. There's, I mean, there's like 25 articles in this piece. Yeah. The soul, wh- uh, wh- what part of the body is the solar plexus? <laughs> be your stomach, wouldn't it? The bread basket. <laughs> Uh, the unbeatable monster and the horror of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Independent professional wrestling is a crucible for research into masculinity. And each one of these pieces was written by someone different. So it's, it's pretty impressive. And the last one here is very relevant to, to um, uh, Brandon. Twitter, Facebook, and the professional wrestler. Indie wrestler perspectives on oh, the wow. importance of social media. Maybe I'll reopen you, our Patreon. I think and I'll you should just... be assigning. I think you should assign each one of these ones as every student a different article, a and idea. have them give a book report at Grapplers every week. That's a good idea. Yeah, we we might do that. Maybe or maybe I'll just open the reopen the Patreon and I'll just just uh, read these. I think think people will uh, be into that. If you just read them and talk about them on each show, talk about. I them. think the I think the um, the authors of each of these pieces are dying to talk to someone about it. They would love to have someone interview them about their piece. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a great thing. Would it be just Brandon interviews the people from the Popular Cultural Studies Journal, Volume One Twenty or Volume Six, Number One, Twenty Eighteen, and uh, just talks to them about what they were saying in each of these articles. Reviews. I, I like this. Uh, Women's Royal Rumble match, Royal Rumble Two Thousand Eighteen, created. By Vincent K. McMahon. There you go. Yes. Um, there's the uh, another article called Identities in Professional Wrestling, Essays on Nationality, Race, and Gender. This is another book that is uh, would give you all of season two of your Patreon. Because um, it's a couple hundred pages, and it's about 30 different articles all about race and nationality and gender. So one is called They Ain't Like Us, Race, Class, and Gender in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Um... One of them is called A Secret Fascination, Professional Wrestling, Gender Nonconformity, and Masculinity. There's one, The Sportification of Wrestling in France, Strength, Performance, and Regulation, 1852 to 1913. Um, there's uh, Lowland Gorilla, Ballerina Acrobat, Brock Lesnar, com, and the Perception of Professional Wrestlers Competing in Combat Sports. Is that all about Enochism? All about what? Enochism. I don't even know. So that's another one you can buy on Amazon and uh, looks very fascinating. So that would also give you about 12 months worth of uh, material for you to read through and go mm-hmm. and discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really good stuff there between those two. I mean, I think there's, you know, probably the articles when you, you add up all these different pieces here that haven't been really discussed or thought of by anyone. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to say that there's so much going on in the world of professional wrestling analysis that is not boiled down to simple one-liners on Twitter. Um, there is uh, one I found that I was fascinated with, um, I, and and I would love to know more about. It's a, uh, a medical journal article. Um, 
And unfortunately, I'm seeing that my link is not working right now. So I'm going to have to go back to my original tweet about it. But what was fascinating about it was it is called, quote, anterior giant ossifying lesion in a peculiar cervical degeneration of Japanese professional wrestlers, especially in aged wrestlers. And it's basically, as I recall, when I read it, was it was about the fact that you tuck your head when you bump. And what was the long-term effects on your spine of tucking your head when you bump so many times? Wow. that's That sounds scary. I don't know if I want to read that. Well, I, I basically, it just... Um, here we go. Nope. I'm sorry. That's the Tatanka one. Anterior giant ossific- ossifying lesion. Anterior okay. giant. Yeah. So it's a... Um, it appears to be a biological reaction to reinforce the anterior aspect of the cervical spine of professional wrestlers who routinely defend themselves in a flexed neck posture against their opponent. The mm-hmm. present results suggest that the risk of CSI, uh, which I, is a, a cervical spine injury, is not increased by spinal can- canal stenosis accompanied by AGBOL, the anterior giant ossifying lesion. Further studies are needed to investigate the relationship between the wrestler's cervical degeneration and the risk for CSI in more detail. So, wait, so the good, is good news, news is they don't think it leads to cervical spine injuries. Oh, great. Good, new, good news, then. We're safe. Yeah. But the bad news is it does say that there is something weird about the spine of wrestlers who take a whole lot of, of bumps and tuck yeah. their chin a bunch. Well, we got weird spines. That's not the worst thing, right? They're just yeah. weird. It's okay, but, uh, to, it's okay to be weird. I think they said they, they followed something like 13 Japanese wrestlers for like the course of like 15 years. Hmm. So I would just love to know who was on that list. Like, are we talking, you know, is it Curry Man? Are we <laughs> talking, uh, Akiyama? Are we talking Tabita? Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe a little Onita. Maybe. Hopefully Masawa was not one of those data points. Yeah. It's actually the first thing I thought of when I, when I saw that. I was like, oh no, Tyson Kidd, Masawa. We've seen guys who you just all in one take one bump and then it goes. Yeah, and I, and I guess um, Paraguay Junior. Yeah, yeah, another good example. Um, and then this last one here: uh, critical feminist hope, the encounter of neoliberalism and popular feminism in WWE 24: Women's Evolution. And what is that about? Uh, <laughs> it was a paper published. Um, by Rachel Wood and Benjamin uh, Litherland. Um, and she she writes much more about feminism and sexual health, and he writes a lot about uh, professional wrestling and sometimes in the UK professional wrestling. But this piece is basically, um, it talks about, it, it's one of these where it uses a lot of the, the buzzwords of, of the language that they're speaking to. So it talks about cultural luminosity, and the limits of feminist politics in the context of neoliberal individualism and brand casting in a documentary and um, how, how we're seeing them. Uh, uh, feminism is co-opting by liberal neoliberalism. Mm. I don't know enough about what this, the framework of what they're trying to discuss is to, to really be able to respond to it. But I thought it was interesting that they decided to use WWE 24. The, evolution the full article their, looks like you have to pay 40, $42 to get the full article. I don't think I've been able to find a free version of this full article yet, mm-hmm. though um, uh, Ben did like when I tweeted this out. Oh. And so I feel pretty good that if you do want to get a copy of it, we can just ask for Dr. Ben himself to send it to us. Okay. 
So anyhow, I just wanted to bring up the fact that there is a whole lot of interesting scholarship that is being done on professional wrestling. And some of it is probably very relevant. Some of it is very much people trying to take their own interests and put a professional wrestling lens of, on, on top of it and then create a thesis of some sort. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's out there. It's interesting. And, you know, some of the stuff you can buy on Amazon, and I think it's worth kind of supporting. And I think things like this popular cultural journal, uh, studies journal, you know, that's so many interesting pieces. It's available for free. Um, if it's your thing, I really do recommend that you you go and read it. And it might help you. We, we get into these complicated debates all the time around race, gender, and, and other aspects of professional wrestling. And I feel like a lot of times we're rehashing the same simple talking points. And sometimes there's people who have sat there and really tried to think much deeper on these subjects. And we don't ever think to say, is there any scholarship that's been done on this? Is there any kind of examples of, of a more integrated or, or elegant argument that could be made? that says, here's great examples of this, or here's how we're seeing the same debates play out time and time again, or what. And so I'm, I'm fascinated that some of this is out there and increasingly, you know, it's accessible. And I think it's worth people looking into and kind of reviewing. And, and my problem is I'm just not a very good reader. I'm perfect pronunciator, but not a very good reader. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit slow right now to get through this stuff. And that's why I turned to the PhD in Russellnomics candidate, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Uh, yeah. So, I'll see if I can get some Adderall and I'll, I'll get down to reading these, but uh, no, it's interesting stuff. It, it, I think these are a lot of um, articles I intended about three years ago to write for voices of wrestling, but just never got around to it. Yeah. So if you're looking for some new VOW writers, I've got a whole bunch of them here mm-hmm. and uh, they work for even less recognition than VOW writers get. That's right. Cause they're graduate so, students. Yeah. I am reading a new book right now called bad blood um, right. about the, uh, the Theranos debacle. There. Of what's, how what's Elizabeth that? Holmes took a whole bunch of money from people, started a company, and then sold a whole lot of people on kind of an empty box and all the mistakes that went along with that. And why did everyone kind of keep allowing this this lie to perpetuate? And uh, how did they lie to themselves? And how did Walgreens lie to itself? How did the U.S. Army lie to itself? And how did all these other very intelligent people working in the healthcare field kind of just buy into the fear of missing out so much so? that they were willing to just continue to allow this company to kind of deceive them. What is this company? And it's called Theranos. They basically, they promised that they could take just a few drops of blood and diagnose a huge array of tests from it. So you wouldn't have to get oh. a big drug, uh, draw a big blood pull from, from your arm. And so yeah. you could do it with literally like two drops of blood. But what they weren't really telling you was that a, you had to dilute the blood a whole bunch to do that. And every time you did that, it basically the margin of error went way, way, way up. And then two, they never really figured out the technology to do all the different types of tests using that same blood sample. Mm-hmm. So in the end, they actually were using other people's technology a lot of the time and just pretending it was their technology that was doing these tests. But they were able to con people like Wal- Walgreens into hundreds of millions of dollars of investments of you know, scooping out corners of the store and revitalizing them just for these things. And then in the end, basically the results were so wrong so often that they all had to be thrown out at the very end. And the company, she was, you know, the SEC got after her and there's been criminal charges and all sorts of things. But it's, it's this fascinating thing of basically she saw herself as the next Steve jobs and everyone around her kind of bought into the cult of personality that was happening. Hmm. And um, it's, it's just kind of another great example of, of just how kind of, if you if you live in an environment where everybody just kind of says it's okay to move fast and break the rules, especially in healthcare, it's so dangerous to operate in that way 
and the ramifications can be so deep, depersonalized that everyone can kind of just try to come up with their own narrative of why what's happening is okay. And the new normal is all right. And it can just continue to spiral. And these very powerful people can get conned just like everybody else. And every, everyone from, you know, Larry Ellison up to, I think Henry Kissinger ended up being kind of like uh, pulled into this thing. Really? Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty fascinating taste. So it's called bad blood. It's a pretty good read. Uh, I'm enjoying it very much right now. Well, luckily quest diagnostics is still in business, isn't it? Yeah. And that, that was one of their main competitors. Oh, okay. That they were very, yeah. very paranoid about any information leaking out to. Wow. Yeah. How about you? What are you reading these days, Brandon? I'm reading the WrestleNomics notes. Yep. Partially. Partially, right before we go to air. Yes. No. Uh, uh, and, and if you missed last week's show, we did talk about it. We are, we are putting the Patreon on hold for the month of December. I've got just too many things happening here uh, that I don't feel that I'm going to be able to dedicate enough time to doing two shows and being a, a vital resource. And uh, Brandon has a lot of articles here that he needs to read before he's going to be able to uh, to have all those guests on. He's got to do a lot of scheduling. And then on top of that, of course, he is now Maine's number one wrestler. Yeah, if, if I'm ever going to complete my PhD in WrestleNomics, I have to do more of this reading so that you will uh, you will accept my dissertation on um, social media and socialism or something like that. <laughs> here I am flanderizing so, myself, but yes. so Socialism media, maybe? Something like that. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. That should be good. Um, so for this week, I think the big news, if you're looking for what are the, you know, the three things to keep on your radar, number one, is going to be George's talk, UBS. Number two, it's going to be that WWE UK deal. And then I think number three, just in general, it's going to be the, um, the WWE stock price. And is there going to ever be anything new that it's not just being driven by the S and P 500 really, or the Dow Jones or something else, but is there actually going to be any news that's happening here? And, uh, you know, again, mix match challenge. It's just one of these deals where it just blows my mind that they're able to get as much buzz as they get on this thing for something that produces so little effect in the wrestling community. Well, it's Facebook. Everybody's excited about Facebook. Um, they are. And there was a good piece. Actually, I wish I had included it in our, our reading list for this week here about um, Nicholas Deaton's piece on, on Facebook watch. Did you see that? Nick, Nick, Nick Denton of uh, Gawker. No, what, who, who do I want to claim? Nicholas DeLeon? I, I do this to Nick every week. Um, yeah, basically it was talking about how uh, Facebook is doing a, uh, a, a pivot where they realize that absolutely no one is going to care about Facebook Watch under the age of 40. And so they're not, it's not a good idea for them to keep uh, fighting that, but rather um, it says, Facebook's YouTube competitors pivoting to older audiences. As teens tune out and publishers bulk, Facebook Watch, a hub for shows and premium video content, was intended to be a big competitor to YouTube. Instead, it failed to get recognition with users who aren't used to watching long videos on Facebook. The company may be trying to focus the product on older audiences after many of its younger users moved to Instagram. So, so we're going to see more uh, uh, CBS All Access type programming on Facebook. Maybe. Uh, and I mean, hey, there's there's value to that because those are consumers that are much more valuable to a lot of uh, advertisers than any other demographics are. And locking them down means something. But I think it's fascinating that each of the big social media companies has struggled so much as they try to step outside their boundaries. When you think of G+, 
and the failures it had in trying to make its own social network. Google and then you plus, see yeah. Facebook's problems in trying to replicate video. And then you see, you know, uh, all these other people who have tried to do, they, they try to go a little bit out of their lane and it's gone horribly wrong. I mean, Instagram could be the big success story because it's doing both photo and video. And for a while there, that really seemed like that was going to be the tension point for them is whether they could transmit into video so well. Yeah. They're the only ones who have succeeded at stealing some other social media platforms idea. That is Snapchat. Um, yeah, but all these, all these, media, all these social media companies want to, you know, they see their giant footprints and they don't look at Facebook, a billion users or whatever it is. Uh, and they want, they think they could be all things to all people, but you know, I don't know. They're really good at advertising and, uh, you know, distorting elections, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I don't know if they, if they can be YouTube, uh, I, I guess. We'll, I don't think so. I mean, and same thing, we see this between the fight between Twitch and YouTube about where is the gaming generation going to spend its time and how YouTube in some ways is almost not the cool place to do the gaming stuff. You want to watch that on Twitch. Mm-hmm. But we digress. Um, as usual, I'm throwing a lot of new stuff at Brandon right at the last two minutes of his day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brandon, uh, this week, can anybody see you wrestle anywhere? You can see me wrestle in, in Pro Wrestling Rampage in Erie, Pennsylvania. Ooh. And, uh, I was working on a, a video for Grapplers Anonymous today. Maybe it'll be out this week. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, we, we, we talked, we went to, um, because if you can't tell this, this show was recorded in, in two sessions because Mookie's internet was falling apart, doing much better in this session here. But we went to yeah, yours the, um, is the one that's not doing so well this time. Yeah. Well, nobody can tell that because I'm dra- recording directly into a recorder. Um, yeah, we went to the, the Buffalo his, 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 uh, like History Museum, Historical Museum, and uh, we went all over Buffalo and we did uh, some B-roll. Me, you'll be, you may see me walking around with the Buffalo skyline in the background. Things if, if, if you if you do well, follow the uh, Grapplers and Honest social media stuff. So. Nice, uh, nice. The the match that I talked about last time, the Ilya DePaula Cup match, uh, where, where I'm on the Cup. Spoiler alert is now on ESW's uh, Pivot Share. If you go to eswwrestling.pivotshare.com, you can subscribe, I believe, for $5 a month and watch the match, watch the entire event and all the events that are available through that service. And for even cheaper, can't I just go to your Twitter page at Brandon uh, Thurston and uh, our good friend uh, Joe K19 has already put up some of the best moves from that match? I, th- I think it's pronounced Hoke. I don't know. But anyway, yes, he, he, he did uh, gifts the entire event. Uh, last night he he was apparently watching it and gift quite a few moves from it, the entire event. And so there's this nasty German German suplex Liger bomb package pile driver combo from Daniel Garcia. Yeah, I figured and you enjoy the that. Poor twerp who this is all happening to. Would that be you? That is me. Yeah, that that looks most unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, was this feedback or payback by any means, possibly of you giving him an exploder about an inch of his life from uh, the corner? It certainly was. Does that look all right? I thought we could have been closer to the, uh, to the corner. I'm always, uh, to the corner to even closer. I think you would have thrown him over the top ropes if you had done that. Hmm. Oh, you think so? Well, okay. That makes me feel better then. All right. Yeah. No, it looks great. It looks really exciting stuff. Yeah. You're like, like three and a half inches away from the corner. <laughs> yeah. It looks good. Okay. Uh, but anyways, uh, those, those, uh, those gifts with a hard G and J got me very excited about, uh, uh, getting my pivot chair. Uh, yeah. set up yeah, and it's available yeah. through all these other partners too because you know all these pivot chairs collaborate with each other so ESW is on the high spots wrestling network you just subscribe to the high spots wrestling network you can watch it through that uh, and a number of other places like powerslam.tv and um, 
Smash Wrestling, a lot of others. Bar Wrestling. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, if you have some ideas, uh, hopefully this uh, Barrios comment uh, uh, discussion is is full of interesting stuff for us to to do because uh, next week we, we're gonna need some content. We're gonna need something good. At Tuesday so, at one forty five east p.m. Eastern, I will probably be listening to the George Barrios talk live, and maybe I'll even live tweet it. So get excited for that. You can and listen then do to you it know your opponent too. for Pro Wrestling Rampage. I'm wrestling Jimmy the Hippie for the PWR Heavyweight Title. My goodness! Now, didn't you wrestle him previously for the Heavyweight Title? I was supposed to, but. Somehow- but uh, things did not work out that way for whatever reason. But I think this time that's what's happening. That's what's advertised. It's actually advertised this time. So okay, so no more malarkey. This is going to be the real deal. Yeah, the indie scene is is drying up left and right. We're running out of wrestlers that aren't signed to major companies. So that's right. pretty soon, so the PWR big heavyweight title could be the most prestigious title on all the Northeast. That's right. The more and more indie wrestlers get signed, the better and better it is for me because that means the big push for me. That's how it works. Thanks, everybody. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Mukiyani. You can catch Brandon at Brandon Thurston. You can catch the show at WrestleNomics. You can also find us at WrestleNomics.com. You can email us at WrestleNomics at gmail.com. And, of course, we're uh, uh, recommending everybody go check out all the cool articles we link here, including um, the Popular Cultural Studies Journal, all three PDF, 300-plus pages, and the Identity and Professional Wrestling Essays on Nationality, Race, and Gender Amazon link. I think it's only 10 bucks to buy. And uh, definitely looks like a good Christmas gift for that wrestling fan you want to just sit there in the back of the room and think for a while before they open their mouth again. Have a good and, day. And Bye. we are giving away the notes for free this week. Usually we be those, those are only for subscribers, but there are for everybody this week. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>